Sometimes things don't quite work out the way we expect. And as I say that, I think back to this one day uh, in the early years of me and Alison being married. Uh, on that day, we had arranged for Alison to pick me up after she got off work, and I got back uh, at the train station from college. See, it was because it was my birthday, and she had everything planned. This uh, was a whole event. It was going to start with this meal at this surprise restaurant. And so we were excited. We're going to have this special night out. Well, so Allison, she met me at Epping Station. Uh, we walked under the car. We were parked just a little bit down Bridge Street, I think it was. Uh, we got in. Allison looked at me and she said, your birthday adventure starts now. She happily uh, turned the key for the ignition and nothing happened. The car was completely dead. Uh, poor Allison, she put all of this effort into a, a big celebration, a big special birthday for me, and none of it, none of it happened as expected. Uh, to make a long story short, we spent my birthday waiting for the NRMA, and uh, we got takeaway. Okay? Um, we thought we were driving to a nice meal, you know, only to have the car give up on us. Uh, the journey, that journey just came to a sudden stop. You know, in a sense, we could say the wheels had fallen off. I mean, thankfully, literally, they didn't, but, you know. But life is like that sometimes, isn't it? Now, for us, look, the car was easily fixed. It turned out to be the battery. Uh, you know, we rebooked for the dinner. No worries. But much bigger and very challenging things can come at us, can't they? I mean, life can take those unexpected turns. It can feel like things sometimes come to a sudden halt. Now, it's not always smooth. In fact, life sometimes can be very, very overwhelming. How do we make sense of this? And even more than that, as we think about the series uh, that we're looking at right now, how do we grow as a follower of Jesus when the wheels really are coming off? How do we grow then? This is something we need to think about. Uh, because the Christian life was never promised to be perfect. Uh, we still live in a fallen world. And for some of you, this question is very real for you right now. It's a very live question. So here's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, we're going to jump around the Bible a little bit tonight, maybe a little bit more than we have in the previous sermons. But we're going to do that so we can put together a picture of a few ways that the wheels can come off. And my hope is that we'll have a better understanding then, and then on the journey we can grow more as followers of Jesus. Okay, and so the first challenge that we see uh, was in the reading we just had from James. And so I want to open up to James chapter 1, verse 2. And he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That's one of the ways that the wheels can come off. We can face trials. Hard things happen. Now, James wants his readers to know that for sure. He wants to help them make sense of it. But the way he starts his talking about that can be very challenging for us, can't it? His words here are a bit surprising, actually. You know, I mean, how does it work when you're standing by the side of your, your grandparents' bed in the hospital and they can't even recognize you anymore? Or, you know, or that, that new job didn't turn out to be what you expected? Or your uni results over the last few reports are not good at all, and some of those um, courses will be repeated. Or a couple loses a child in a car accident. I mean, how can you say any of these things are joyful trials? We first need to understand what James is not saying, okay? 
He is not saying that we go around with a fake smile on our face and pretend that uh, hardship isn't serious. It's not what he's saying here. He's not saying that bad things are good. He's not saying that either. He's saying that we can consider the facing of our trials a joy, though, because they are accomplishing something good in another way. See, if we keep the image of a journey in mind, uh, each of the things that we face are sort of part of, you know, one little segment of our life, aren't they? You know, it's sort of a point A to point B. It's like getting on the M4 and it tells you how many kilometers until you reach the Blue Mountains. But it's one segment of a bigger trip. And what James is talking about here then is perspective. He wants us to stand back and look at the map as a whole and get the big picture. And so if we read on, he says... Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. When things explode in life, our world tends to shrink down to the size of the situation that we're in. But here we see that there is a good in trials because they move us on the path towards maturity in Jesus. See, this is growth language, isn't it? That's what James is saying here. Uh, Remember, we saw last week, we are works in progress. The promise is that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. So one thing that we need to see with trials is that they give us an opportunity to put our faith into action, to cling to Jesus. And so we persevere, we, we forge ahead, and we do that with a bigger perspective in mind. We don't give up. And I say that because I want to be very clear on this for us. It's quite possible that when the wheels fall off, when life is tough, well, you might be tempted to pack your faith in. I know I've had that conversation with people. You might be tempted to doubt uh, that God is there. You might think that, well, if he is, he doesn't care about me. How could he with what I'm facing? Or he can't help me. He's powerless to do anything. But part of growing in Jesus, growing as his follower, is to know and be reminded that God is up to something. And we must stick with him no matter what. And as we do, that leads us to rely on his strength more, to love him more, to grow in our thankfulness, uh, to grow in humility. And ultimately, these things, they help us to reach more maturity in Jesus. James tells us as well that we can pray for wisdom at these times, too, if we read on in verse 5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Wisdom is knowing that God is God, and we are not. It's about us learning to live as God's people in this broken world. Okay? And so then as we gain perspective, we keep forging ahead, we ask God then to keep showing us that he's God, that he's the one who's in control. We're not in control of our situations. And he is the one who is up to something good even when we can't quite understand it at the time. And as we put all of these things together, we see something very comforting in God's word. I mean, think about what God is saying here. He will equip He will strengthen, he will give insight, and he will work on us. This means that we are never alone, whatever the trial is. This is a picture of a God who is hands-on when things are messy. 
And let's not forget that the Jesus who we journey with, he has said these great words. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So that's one way that the wheels can come off. We face trials. You know, things from outside of us, uh, they hit us and they throw us for a loop. But God is accomplishing something good in us. And part of the journey then is to keep going ahead, walking with Jesus, not giving up. But another way that the wheels can come off is not from something outside of us, but something inside of us making the journey difficult. And that something is our sin. It's our sin. Remember, sin is an attitude of the heart that pushes God aside. And even though Jesus has ultimately paid the price of his own life for our sins, he has dealt with sin through the cross. The reality is that sin still wages war in this broken world. We're going to battle it every day. And so here I'm talking more about uh, repeated sin or sin that we don't deal with. And if that happens, it weighs us down takes a joy out of living as a Christian because it starts to distance us from God. It can bring darkness. It can bring deceit. It can even lead to a double life. We've got the public Christian face on one side and we've got the things that we're hiding on another. Psalm 32 is a good picture of this. Here King David, he clearly describes some of the effects of sin. And so listen as I read starting from verse 3. He says, When I kept silent, meaning I'm keeping silent about my sin, I'm not dealing with it. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through the groaning, my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Now, if that sounds a bit extreme, let's think about how this works for us. When we become a Christian, we become a whole new creation, don't we? That's what the Bible says, how we're described. The old is gone. We become children of God. But our Father has no darkness in him at all. So to not deal with sin or to keep indulging in it or to not take it seriously or to treat it lightly is to dabble in things that no longer fit who we've become. Remember that when we come to Christ, when we're on that journey, we are dying to self and we're living for him. And so sin, in this bigger, ongoing way, that it has consequences. If we keep feeding it, it becomes a stronger appetite and it reshapes what we delight in. It leads us to forget God and the joy of our salvation. It can speak louder than God's word and lie to us about who we are and what we need. It can give the devil a foothold. We're told in scripture that we can grieve the Holy Spirit with our sin. And as we slowly drift away from clinging to our Savior, we lose the comfort that comes from a real relationship with him. To let sin get the upper hand like this is to damage our foundation, our strength, our joy, and our hope. So thank God then that those verses in Psalm 32, they're not the end of the story. If we read on, we see, well, David, he didn't stay silent. He writes, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And he goes on to say, Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. 
You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. David ran back to God and he found forgiveness and hope and comfort and protection. And as he writes in the last verse, a renewed joy. Great news of growing as a follower of Jesus is that even when the wheels come off because of our own sin, God will always, always receive us in Christ. And so for us on this side of the cross, we need to hear 1 John chapter 1, 5 to 9. And let me say, these are very, very important words in Scripture. It says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in the darkness, we lie. Do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Friends, please examine your hearts. Is there sin that you've been hiding or things that you try not to even think about because you're so ashamed? Search your hearts for those things that you've told no one, not even those closest to you. And you know what I mean when I say that, don't you? Be honest with yourself about the things that you've let yourself enjoy, even though you know it's not right in God's eyes. Or maybe there are things that you've done, you've regretted it instantly, but you've kept condemning yourself over and over and over about it. Or where has the Spirit been pricking you and not letting you rest? We all have sin in our lives. I have sin in my life. I battle sin every single day. But the question here is, is your sin hindering your journey? Are the consequences of a particular sin or a type of sin taking away from your Christian walk? We can only live a lie for so long before it takes its toll on our relationships and on our Christian integrity. So what do we do if this is how the wheels are coming off? Well, we run to God and we say that we're sorry, like David did here. Friends, we're called to a life of repentance as part of God growing us. We don't say sorry for our sins only once the first time when we come into a relationship with Jesus. We're called to a lifetime of repentance. And that means continuously turning away from sin and towards Jesus. Away from sin and towards him. That's what we're called to. That's what the journey looks like. And the promise is that when we do that, he will never turn us away. Never. We're cleansed in him. He defeated sin on the cross. And there's joy and freedom then in bringing what's hidden in darkness out into the light. So we've seen that, haven't we, that wheels, they they can come off in different ways. You know, things outside of us can lead to the trials that we face. The sin that's inside of us can hinder the journey. But there's one more thing I want us to explore. And this one, it's sort of inside and outside. And that's when there's conflict with another person. Conflict with another person. I know I've uh, mentioned this before, but uh, churches can have arguments about all sorts of different things, okay? There was this Christian writer only a few years ago. Uh, He took a survey 
to find out what kind of things that people in churches get a bit hot under the collar about. And he had so many responses, he ended up writing a list of his top 25 favorites. Okay, uh, Here are a few of them. Uh, the length of the worship pastor's beard. Okay, Which type of filing cabinet to buy, um, number of drawers and color. Uh, which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer. Uh, which type of coffee to serve. Someone hiding the church vacuum cleaner. Uh, this one actually led to a real church split. Okay? I'm not, no, I'm not exaggerating. That really happened. And, and, and the final one, I love this one, and if people can wear a black t-shirt at church, because after all, it's the devil's color. Okay? It, it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm not pointing any fingers. I got nothing to say. No, but it's crazy, isn't it? Churches, they seemingly, they can fight about just anything, you know, anything at all. But the reality is, reality is that the conflict is a big problem when it happens, and it should never be overlooked. Uh, to pick just one example from Scripture, the Apostle Paul, I don't know if you've noticed this, but he highlighted two women who were fighting in his letter to the Philippians. In chapter 4, verse 2, he says, I plead with Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Have you ever thought about that? In this letter to the Philippians, this wonderful letter in the New Testament, why did he single out these two women? Because he wanted the church to thrive. If we look at the flow across the letter, he had already talked about the joy of partnering in the gospel and knowing Jesus. He had spoken about humility and unity. He urged believers to shine differently in a broken world. And then right after telling them to stand firm, he pleads with these women. Their journey of faith will not go well if they're more invested in conflict than they are invested in Jesus. And the church will suffer as a result. Let me tell you from experience, and this comes from my wider church involvement, churches where I've been the minister, from mediation, related things that I have been in, in, taken part in, that conflict will always suck you dry spiritually. I have never seen a single example of where someone could take their conflict and just put it off to a neat box over here on the side while the same person then continues to grow and thrive in Jesus. It just does not happen. It is not even possible. And whenever conflict has not been dealt with, all I've ever seen is people grow in bitterness and suffer spiritual damage. Why is this? Well, we think, too, uh, when Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, did you notice that he summed it up by answering with two different commands? And he said that we must completely love God and completely love our neighbor. And we will never understand those commands properly if we separate them. How can we claim to love God if we hate the people that he loves? And how can we fully love our neighbor if the love of God doesn't shape the way that we do that? So listen to Jesus in Matthew 5, 23 to 24. He says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. If you find yourself before God, and there's something wrong between you and another person, uh, go and sort that out first, he says. It's not God over here and these people over there. It all comes together in the Christian life. 
what does this practically mean for us? If you are in a situation of conflict, whether big or small, you have to deal with it as best as you can. We cannot sweep that sort of thing under the carpet. It will only fester. It will only grow worse. It will only damage your Christian walk. If someone has something against you, you still have to take the initiative to approach them if they won't come to you first. And if you have done someone else wrong, you have to go to them and seek forgiveness. Reconciliation is part of loving our neighbor. Now, there's a right way, there's a right time to do that, yes, but the point is that it can't be overlooked. Romans 12, 17 to 18 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The Bible tells us that the Christian journey involves being a peacemaker. Remember how the gospel works. While we were enemies, God pursued us in Jesus. He saved us by his grace. He paid the highest price for us when we were in rebellion against him. And none of this because we deserved it. Is there tension now between you and someone else? Is there heat from the past you've never properly dealt with? Is there a break of some sort between you and another person, maybe even someone else in the church or another brother and sister in Christ? If you want to thrive and grow as a follower of Jesus, you need to deal with that. Now, as I've said already, this sermon is sort of a skate through the, the, the wider big picture of a few ideas to get us thinking. But let me say that if this applies to you, I'd love to help anyone who wants to chat about this sort of thing. Friends, let's be honest. Sometimes the wheels come off, don't they? We should expect that on the journey. Trials will come our way. But the promise is that God will grow us. And so we continue to live wisely as his people as we continue with Jesus. Our sin, at times, it can darken us. But Jesus brings us into the freedom of his light, and he will never turn us away when we repent. No sin is bigger than the cross. Not one of our sins can undo what Jesus has done. And our conflicts can hinder us. But the good news is that Jesus gives us the strength to seek reconciliation, and we can know in him the beauty of restored relationships. Friends, the journey won't always be smooth. But God will always be at work in each one of these things to make us more like his son. And let's remember that's exactly where the journey is heading. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for your word. And while some of what we've looked at tonight is very challenging, Lord, we thank you that when the wheels come off, you are so real about this in Scripture. You speak to life as it really is. Father, some of us sitting here now are facing very big trials, things in their, their, their water life that are just overwhelming. And Lord, we pray that you'll bring relief from these things. We also pray as well that you will give a great reminder that while we cannot always see it at the time, you are up to something very good in bringing us to maturity in Jesus. And we ask that you will bring much good out of these trials in this way. Lord, we think of the sin that's in our life, and we say before you, in honesty, we all battle with sin. We're not going to pretend that we don't. But Lord, where there's sin that just hasn't been dealt with properly before you, we ask that you'll give us a confidence by your Spirit to repent 
and that we'll know the joy of not being turned away from you. Lord, help us not to minimize our sin or treat it lightly, but to bring it before you and take what is in darkness and expose it to the light. And Lord, we think of our relationships and when they go bad and turn into conflict. Lord, help us to not think that we can put that to the side as if it doesn't matter, but give us the courage to approach others even when those conversations might be challenging. Lord, help us to love people the way you've loved us. Help us to love both you completely and our neighbor completely and bring us into restored relationships. Uh, Lord, and we ask that you will powerfully do that by your spirit. Father, there are many things that can hinder or slow down or make our walk with Jesus confusing and difficult. There will be hiccups on the journey as we move ahead. We pray, Lord, that you will strengthen us, grow us, change us, and make us more like your son. By the work of your spirit, give us the courage to face each of the things that we've talked about here tonight. In your son's great name we pray. Amen.